Welcome to episode 40 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. This is a celebration of the Hartford Whalers third annual reunion coming up on July 12 and 13, 2019 as hosted by the Hartford Yard Goats baseball team. The key event for hockey fans will be the on-field barbecue on the afternoon of the 13th. This is a great way to meet the Whalers and hear some unforgettable hockey stories while enjoying great food and one of America's great minor league ballparks. Today's show features conversations with Yard Goats assistant GM Dean Zappalorti, a diehard Whalers fan who coordinates the event, and four Whaler reunion attendees, Mike Rogers, Jordy Douglas, Wayne Babich, and Andre Lacroix, all of whom share memories of their days with the Whalers. By the way, all of these comments are excerpted from previous editions of the PHA podcast. Now, let's talk classic hockey with your Hartford Whalers. Well, today we welcome to the show, as we talked about in the open, Dean Zappalorti, the assistant general manager of the Hartford Yard Goats baseball team. So why is he here on a Whalers show? And the reason is that Dean, of course, is coordinating for the third consecutive year of the Whalers reunion weekend with the Hartford Yard Goats. So, Dean, thanks so much for being with us, and thanks so much for keeping the Whalers top of mind. Uh, Mark, it's uh, it's a pleasure. It's uh, it's a labor of love for me. I'm, I always say I'm a hockey guy working in baseball. <laughs> well, you can tell, Dean, so when the Whalers were in Hartford, um, I'm assuming that you were a fan of the team growing up. Yeah, I was. You know, I played youth hockey um, growing up, and um, and that extended into uh, a beer league as an adult. So, <laughs> again, hockey's always been a big part of my life, and uh, I grew up uh, watching the the Whalers. You know, I'm 53 years old, so I am old enough to have seen the Whalers in the 70s, 80s, and as an adult, I had my own season tickets in the 90s. So, mm-hmm. um, was able to appreciate uh, you know their entire. Uh, history here what was your uh, favorite memory of being a Whalers fan well um, you know there's a couple um, the um, the all-star game mm-hmm. that Hartford hosted was was pretty neat you know um, and then um, uh, you know obviously I'm a, I'm a Whalers fan I was a hardcore Whalers fan always rooting for them but I'm a hockey guy so you know what I enjoyed about uh, being a fan is you know being able to see the the greats come through our barn. So right. whether it was Gretzky or Lemieux, uh, you know Paul Coffey, uh, you know Lindros for a while, um, just to watch all the greats playing in front of you um, was always amazing to me. You know you're just seeing the world's best. Yeah, you you noted that 1986 All Star extravaganza and. Just as you said, what I used to always tell people is just that feeling of having the best of the best uh, come through Hartford, Connecticut, and being a major league city uh, for that time stretch was very memorable, very important. Hartford is always an underdog city, and I always took a lot of pride when we'd play the Bruins and beat them. Like we'd be ten to two one night back in '87, and you know get a chance because <laughs> they were on Sports Channel at the time, so everybody in Boston yeah. could watch the Whalers, and so. Yeah. 
Talk me a little bit about, I guess you kind of touched on a little bit about, so three years ago, you came up with this event. And first of all, I just want to say for the fans who haven't partaken in the Hartford Yard Goats experience, it's truly exceptional. Beautiful ballpark, incredibly cooperative staff. Uh, Everything from the merchandise, the concessions is uh, first rate, first class, clean as a whistle. And it's a great experience. Aside from the fact that, of course, now you have an event where you get to see and and talk to uh, over 20 former whalers in a relaxed atmosphere. But what was your original inspiration behind this event? Well, I mean, you know, it was never really uh, that much of a leap, to be honest. Uh, I I think you know that, you know, um, the Hartford Yard Goats Blue and Green are the whalers Blue and Green. So Mm -hmm. we've uh, paid homage to the whalers in selecting our team colors. Uh, and so in that sense, we've always been keenly aware of the, the whalers' history. Um, you know, I think uh, clearly, um, you know, I'm from here, grew up here, grew up with the whale, and I work here. Um, some of the other people uh, are and some are not from here, so they don't have that same attachment. But I guess I rubbed off on them in some <laughs> capacity. And so they could tell my passion when talking about the whalers. And so uh, they bought into it, and it really wasn't a hard sell. Um, and so that's how it started. They said, Dean, have at it. And uh, I'll tell you, it's just been such a treat that I've been able to uh, forge friendships with um, the guys that I uh, grew up watching. Um, and, you know, some of the nicest guys. I I always say, you know, I've been working in sports and entertainment for 20 years in different fields, basketball, baseball, et cetera. But um, I just think the, um, the hockey guys uh, are some of the nicest bunch of guys. And I don't know if it's because the bulk of them are Canadian. I really haven't been able to put a <laughs> finger on it. But, Mark, they're just truly uh, – good salt of the earth people and and i can now say three years later that you know i stay in touch with with many of them um year round you know wish them a merry christmas or whatever it may be so for me it's really a it's really a treat right and you kind of became the de facto steward of the whalers tradition at hartford so you know there was a void there uh, and you were able to fill it, and the, the players, uh, you will be listening to a few of them uh, later in the show, truly love coming back and being part of it. As I said before, it's a first-class night, and I was happy to participate in it last year. It's very relaxed. I guess that's the word for both the fans and uh, the players involved. Yeah. It's a, a very... Uh, fun, low-key atmosphere, but at the same time, the the, the stories and the camaraderie, it all comes flooding back. Uh, when, when you see these guys, they truly enjoy it, so that says a lot uh, for yourself. The one part of this I wanted to focus on today, and it's really a, a three-day event, uh, along with the, the, the yard goats and everything, but the uh, luncheon that you have on Saturday the 13th, the barbecue, uh, the uh, baseball part of it. That was my favorite part of it because I had a chance just to get out there in the field, talk to old friends. Beautiful day out. I'm sure it will be again on the 13th. And right. that's uh, Talk a little bit about that. I know there's, there's a charity element involved in that, but talk a little bit about sure. that, that special time period. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, our first year we had the charity luncheon in a more formal setting, 
seated ta- uh, seated dinners up in our YG club, which is very beautiful. Um, but I think uh, we switched it up last year in year two, and it really resonated with people. And so uh, it gives people not only a unique way to get up close and personal and converse with you know the the whalers that they watched uh, growing up, um, but it's pretty fun and unique. You get to go in the the yard goats dugout and hang out. Uh, have some barbecue, some food and beverage. We have soda, water, beer and wine. Um, we have the uh, pitching machine set up on the mound in a batting shell. So you could take some swings on a professional ball field. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, uh, for two years running, we were voted the best double-A ballpark in the country. So mm-hmm. um, it's a rare opportunity that, you know, that people can actually come on the field, enjoy it, shag fly balls, take swings. Oh, and by the way, you can uh, hang out with over 20 former whalers. And at the end of it, there's an autograph session, and we have an exclusive poster that we've made that will only be available at this charity luncheon. Um, All the proceeds benefit the Yard Goats Foundation, which goes to help primarily Hartford-based causes and charities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a good cause, it's a good time, and um, I think we found something here with the on-field barbecue that we're going to stick with for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I can personally attest to it that it, it's it's such a fun time, and if you're a Whalers fan, if you're a hockey fan, or you just want to be part of a, of a real nice afternoon, and hear some of the best stories you'll ever hear in your entire life. You cannot. Now, this show, we hear a lot of stories, but there's nothing like the informal attitude, maybe uh, a little beer and, <laughs> beer and wine mixed in. But yeah. the, the stories that you hear as a fan, you have access to players. It, like right. I said, it's first class, but you have that access, and yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll have a very memorable hockey experience, and I highly recommend it. Dean, uh, in closing, how can fans... Uh, get more information or get tickets to uh, the Saturday afternoon event or any event they want to sure. take, take part of this weekend? Yeah, so um, you can go to yardgoatsbaseball.com and in the right margin, there is a button to click for purchasing of the charity luncheon tickets. Um, again, I, I, uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention that all of this is sponsored by UConn Health and has been for uh, ever since day one that we've been doing this. So they're a great partner, and um, about eight of the guys, we're going to do a hospital visit Friday, July 12th, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, cheer up some people in the hospital. And then uh, Saturday is the luncheon, and then Saturday night is the game. So if you go to yardgoatsbaseball.com, you can find out all the information about the uh, Whalers Alumni Weekend. That's great. Well, Dean, you're a good guy and all around uh, great pro. And we just want to thank you for, again, keeping the Whalers tradition alive in Hartford and putting on this great event. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the weekend, July 12th, 13th, and 14th. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. All right, Dean. Take care. Bye-bye. You got it. Former Whalers captain Mike Rogers was our guest on episode 30 of the podcast and In this clip, he talks a little bit about the magical 79-80 season where he topped the 100-point mark combined with Blaine Stout and Pat Boutet to form one of the great NHL lines of that season. Yeah, it was just, um, actually, I started that season with Mark and and Gordy on my wings, and what a Mm -hmm. thrill for me, the first game in the National Hockey League, and I look over to my left side, I've got Mark out, and I look over to the right side, I'm going, oh, 
Right. Oh, this, <laughs> I think I've finally arrived. This is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I can't remember who we were playing, but it was a game where um, uh, just kind of uh, there was some line matching going on, and our coach said that, uh, you know, we're going to just, you and Blaine play together, and I can't remember even who was on the left side, but, you know, you, you talk about instant chemistry, and, and it, it was. And, you know, we never kind of missed a beat. I, I still remember that first shift, and Blaine knew the type of player I was, and I knew exactly what he expected, and we just hit it off right off the bat, and, and it was just amazing what we were able to accomplish in such a short period of time. And then, Mark, you mentioned Pat Boutet came over, and he was exactly what Blaine and I needed because we weren't the most physical guy, and both of us weren't that uh, uh, enamored with going in the corner, so we had this <laughs> mm-hmm. this nonstop uh, guy just going from corner to corner, digging bucks out, and and. And Patty had a lot more skill than people gave him credit for. So the three of us just clicked right off the bat and, uh, yeah, just had a phenomenal year. It must have been uh, great to, as, as, a, as a team, just to go out there and prove uh, yourself and uh, WHA that you guys could you know, compete at the National Hockey League level. And as I said, certainly as a fan, it was, uh, it was an exciting year. You guys had a, had a terrific team. Um, but things don't don't uh, ease up for you the next year. Eighty eighty one, the the, the Whalers struggled a little bit, but you are still at the top of your game. And, and Stashy, I think that was the year he held out a little bit at the beginning of the year. Uh, comes back and uh, picks picks up where he left off. Uh, you eventually become captain of the Hartford Whalers. You uh, and I don't. I actually don't even remember the circumstances of you becoming captain. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, I believe Don Blackburn was our coach at the time, and uh, Ricky Lee was injured, who had been the captain of the hockey club, and there was talk about, is he going to return, is he not going to return? So um, they kind of decided they had to find a captain, and instead of the coaching staff or the the management picking the captain, uh, they gave a vote to the players. And, you know, who would ever think that uh, when you've got a room full of Dave Keons and Johnny McKenzie's and Gordy Howes and Mark Howes that – the players are going to elect you as the captain. And mm-hmm. uh, when it was announced, it was uh, one of the greatest honors I've ever, uh, ever received. And, you know, just, just because of those people in the dress room and what they'd accomplished. So here they picked this uh, kind of young up and comer, I guess you could say, and, and uh, allow me to, to be the captain of, of, of this team and of, of such great players. Boy, I tell you what, it's got to mean, as you said, so much when your your peers are the ones choosing you. Nobody can talk about politics or anything like that. That's just uh, that's right from the right from the heart. So that's I didn't know that. That was that, that's great. Um, one guy that you kind of crossed paths with a, a few times in your career, I wanted to ask you about just because he's so interesting uh, and so colorful, was Nick Fatiu. Um, which we, you actually crossed paths with three different times, uh, New England Whalers, uh, Hartford Whalers, and then New York Rangers. Uh, what type of a guy was Nick? And do you have any memories of, of Nick as a player? Well, Nicky was my protector. And uh, as you mentioned, Mark, uh, three times we, we played on the same team. And God, I was so excited every time that I got to play with Nicky because <laughs> I knew I, I had a guy that had my back. And not only my back, but but every player on that team. And you know, talk about a guy that uh, came from a non-hockey background and just what he was able to accomplish. And we all know that he wasn't the most skilled player, but, 
you know, you just loved having Nicky in the dressing room. Uh, he was a prankster. I'm sure you've heard many stories about him nailing guys' <laughs> shoes to the floor or <laughs> filling their helmets with shaving cream or whatever. It was it was endless with Nicky, but he gave he just everybody became just that much uh, closer as, as, as a team because of Nicky. He he drew that that into each and every player and, and just uh, it was great to have him around and uh, yeah I can't say enough of what uh, what Nicky did for my career Jordy Douglas was I guess on episode 22 of the podcast and in this clip we talk a little bit about his rookie season in the World Hockey Association and his first year in the NHL where he scored 33 goals playing on the left wing with Dave Keon in the middle yeah for our, our first uh, season opener was in Quebec, and um, and I'm I'm kind of the odd. Uh, in those days, the, the the New England had three lines and two extra players. It's kind of the forward positions, and and it was Gordy Howe and Jordy Douglas for the most part, filler nine and filler eleven, as as he used to call us. And <laughs> and uh, but I but they had me on the power play, and so the, uh, my very first shift and my very first shot in the in 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 Quebec was a goal I scored a goal and it was assisted by Gordie Howe and 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 I get the puck I mean literally this all happened very quickly in the first period and I and 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 I've got this puck and I and I can remember walking out of the arena and Gordie's kind of and again I'm trying to figure out where I fit in all, all this and he kind of snuggles up and he says hey you got your first goal good for you he says you know that was my 2500th assist <laughs> <laughs> and I was gobsmacked, and I pulled the puck out of my pocket, and I go, "Do you want the puck?" <laughs> and, and he couldn't stop laughing. Of course, it wasn't, but it, you know, it just totally floored me. Like, but that you know, you met, you know, Gord, you know, right. what he was like Gordy, and that was just he had a great laugh at my expense, and I was laughing along with him. But yeah, that was my first outing, and then, and then uh, I remember getting rhubarb by the guys telling they consistently told me I was going to be the 80 goal scorer <laughs> for the season I well wishful thinking eh? <laughs> well, going into that 79-80 season there was a it was a very interesting season in hockey it was a very interesting season to be around the Hartford Whalers because there's some emotion there you're going back into this NHL schedule you've got Gordy coming back to the NHL at the age of 51. Uh, David Keon, of course, uh, in, in his uh, you know, pushing 40 at that point. Uh, one game I always remember from that year, I think, I think it was the most special game of the early Whaler years, was Halloween in Toronto. As you guys play the Maple Leafs, yep. Dave Keon returns home and he scores, yep. Gordy scores. Tell me what that was like going back to the Maple Leaf Gardens with, wow. uh, with those two in tow. Well, you know... The- you know, let, let, Mark, let me let me set this up a little bit, if you don't mind, because people have asked me this before. Like, you know, what was it like for all the guys? You know, like this going to the NHL, and I and I always say, you know, I didn't know any different. I didn't play in the NHL. I was just trying to better myself. I wanted to be a better player, and so wherever that league, you know, wherever that took me, that's where I played. And but for a lot of guys coming out of the WHA to the NHL, this was because for a lot of guys, this was because they couldn't didn't get an opportunity at the NHL level previous. That's why they went to the WHA, you know, made themselves there. And then they, you know, then of course the NHL. So there was a lot of emotion. Guys, guys were very emotional, older guys coming Mm -hmm. into the NHL. Okay. 
Now, someone like Dave, and, and not so much Gordy Howe, he was such an aberration. I mean, he was just a fun-loving guy, just played, didn't matter, you know, it just didn't matter, he just played. And But 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 Dave Keon was a, and, and some of those older guys, you know, their loyalty they wore on their on their sleeves. And, you know, and they were proud, Dave was a proud Maple Leaf that things didn't turn out there. So for, you know, and they would basically, you know, basically, as I understand it, told because he was, well, he was just too old, and they, you know, they, they let him go, and, you know, he was not, as it turned out, but right. for him to go back to Toronto and have success, not one day, I mean, he had success for a couple of years later in his, you know, the first years of the NHL, mm-hmm. wow, I mean, it was so emotional, it was, it was electric, I mean, I've been in some buildings over my career that there's, there's emotion, and then there's this form of electricity right i think of i think of that game with with dave but i also think of the return of gordy howe to detroit mm-hmm. you know there that was emotional but there was electricity in that building i don't know how else to explain it it was just it was just so incredibly special and just so much going on it was it was almost like um you know like a whirlwind like a tornado it was just everything was happening and 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 all good stuff. But for Dave to walk out of there and having scored a goal and 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 you know prove that he could still play, and I, I I couldn't imagine what that man felt. Uh, basically, proving everybody in that you know in the, in the owner's box wrong, I, it had to have been incredible for him too. Wayne Babbage was, I guess, in episode thirty-eight of the podcast. In this clip, he talks about the trade that brought him from the Quebec Nordiques to the Hartford Whalers to join his brother Dave in the Whalers' memorable playoff run of 1986. Then I remember breaking my hand in uh, in the Quebec, and uh, so we were playing back to back to Hartford. And I remember that afternoon, I just got back from shopping. I went and saw the doctor, got a cast put on my hand, and I, I remember getting a. Uh, uh, the general manager of the Quebec Nordiques calls me at home, and he's—I thought he was calling me just just to see uh, how I was doing. He says, he "says Wait, I think you're going to be pretty happy. I says you're going to be playing with your brother." So I said, "You know," and that's probably all we were missing in Quebec was a, a, a defenseman like Dave. So we just moved you to Hartford uh, to no. be playing with your brother there. <laughs> so, you know, okay. <laughs> That was uh, about your uh, inside me. I was thinking that he just wanted me to see how my hand was. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. Um, a couple of minutes later, I get a call from Emil Francis. I said, Emil, uh, like, uh, I said, you know, we talked, and I mean, he was my general manager in St. Louis, and he said, We're excited to have you. Uh, he says, Can you get on a plane and make tonight's game? I said, <laughs> And, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> this is like in the afternoon, about one o'clock, and I I said, Amy, you know I got a broken hand, don't you? He says, no, don't worry about what He'll cut it off and he'll tape you. <laughs> and that was the way it was in St. Louis. So uh, I couldn't get a flight to get there in time. He said, okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just see you tomorrow because we're, we're playing in Quebec the next day. And so I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, then I meet the team, and it's one of those old trades in those olden days. You know, They wanted to save travel, so you usually get traded with the teams that you're in your building. So all you have to do is walk across the rink. Right. So I say goodbye to my guys and, uh, and I go to the other side. And I, I'm pretty sure we beat Quebec that night. 
my I think my brother scored set me up with I got I think I got a goal and assist or a goal and a couple assists. You know, way sure enough took my cast off, take me up and out I went and I'm pretty sure I scored a goal that game. My brother set me up for that goal. Mm-hmm. I think there's a picture of us on that. But yeah, it was the, you know, it turned out well, I think we were in last place at that time and then we won all those games at the end of the season we got we got into the playoffs, and they, well, obviously we played Quebec the first round, and if I'm not mistaken, we took them out four straight, and then we had to play the Montreal Canadiens, and that's where we I think we lost in double overtime in the seventh game. And I mean, that was a our team in Hartford, but they you know, that was a that was a real good team. Our guest in episode nine of the podcast was the magician Andre Lacroix, the WHA's all-time scoring leader. In the 1980s, he formed a great radio broadcast duo with the legendary Chuck Caton. He recalls those great days in this clip here. I was never. I always, I always said it the way it was. If if the Whalers played bad, I said it. If they played well, I said it. Because I knew the people would listen to us, and if they listened to us, I want them to try to visualize what I was telling them. So I didn't want to find excuses, like because. Too many people that do games today, they're such homers, you know, it's not even fun listening to them. I agree. So, And that's why Chuck and I got along so well because I think, I'm surprised I last that long because I thought that the Whalers at some point might say, either you change, and I think that's what happened at the end, by the way, Mark. The reason I didn't do the Whalers at the end on the radio is because some of the players complained that I was too negative on the radio and they decided to go in a different direction. Well, I think that they were, and I recall that very vividly, uh, that, uh, you know, obviously we had an ownership change. That changed the entire culture of the organization with the Whalers. I don't think they ever really recovered from that. And they were looking for uh, cheerleaders uh, to be be, uh, the the color people. And the thing about you is, yeah, you know, once in a while you you get under a player's skin. You talk about good cop, bad cop, and that's very accurate because Chuck was able to play it straight and do his thing well. And you were able to point out things that were positive and things that were negative. And that, as a listener, gave you a real good idea of what was happening on the ice. I think think Chuck, Chuck loved the fact that I would disagree with him at times on the air, because he had to say it the way it was, and I would come, I would bring a different aspect of the game that that it happened. So Chuck liked that because he said that's what the fans they don't want to hear. They want to hear two different views of what happened on the ice. So I, I think that you know th- there were so many good times in Hartford, to be honest with you, and I agree with you completely. I think at the end they were looking for cheerleaders that would come and say. Listen, we need to be positive about this. But I asked them, when they decided that I was not going to do the radio again, I remember asking them, I said, could you give me one reason why I shouldn't be doing it? Did you? Can you show me one letter that you received that was negative about what I said on the air? Could you tell me one phone call you received about something I, did, I said on the air that was wrong? And they couldn't come up with anything. So I said, obviously you're giving in to some of the players that don't like the fact that they're being not criticized, but tell them, make it, telling the mistake they made on the ice. I would not criticize the players for what he did. I would just say, well, if you would have back-checked, for example, 
you could have stopped him, you know, that kind of thing. I will say, because I knew that a lot of people would turn to leave, watch the game on TV, but turn the sound off and listen to Saka and I. Right. So I want them to see, I want them to make sure that what I was saying is what they saw on TV. So well, that's know. why I, I, miss, I miss Chuck a lot because he and I, you know, we, we got along very well during the radio and we, had, we made a great, a great team together. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. Just a reminder to please consider giving the show a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes. These ratings and reviews help us become a lot more visible and make the show more accessible to hockey fans everywhere. I personally read all the reviews and greatly appreciate them all. If you have thoughts or suggestions for the show, you can talk to, contact us through our website at ProHockeyAlumni.org or be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at ProHockeyAlumni. Thanks for listening.